Welcome to the 382nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with author Jillian Cantor, author of the new novel, Half-Life. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jillian Cantor. She's the author of the award-winning and best-selling novels for teens and adults, including The Hours Count, Margot, and The Lost Letter. Jillian's new novel is Half-Life. Jillian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. If someone hasn't heard about your novel, Half-Life, yet, how would you describe the novel? Sure. So Half-Life is a novel about Marie Curie, but I've been describing it as Sliding Doors meets Marie Curie. It's actually two stories, and one storyline is Marie's real life, and it follows her. You get to see what happened in her real life. The other storyline is Maria, and this is what Marie might have become if she had made one different choice as a young woman. The real Marie Curie was born Maria in Poland, and she was engaged to a man in Poland in her early 20s. But the man's mother thought that she would she was not good enough for him and he made she made him sorry she made him break up with her and so after that the real Maria went to Paris to study at the Sorbonne. She adopted the name Marie and met Pierre and discovered radium and the rest is history, (laughs) as you would say. But my novel looks at what might have happened if she had married this man in Poland versus what actually happened. And the chapters alternate. So you get to see where, you know, she was in her life versus where she might have been in her life. And this is the, an interesting kind of fictional take on the life of Marie Curie. I'm curious, do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write Half-Life? Yeah, I do, actually. I first started writing the novel as just like a straight historical novel about Marie's life. But I kept coming back to this one tidbit about this man that she almost married and the fact that his mother thought she wouldn't be good enough for him, which when you think about that now seems ridiculous. It it was all about, of course, social class in Poland at the time. So I kept thinking about him. And then I had read something online that later in life, 
after she had died, there was a statue erected of her in front of the Radium Institute in Warsaw. And he used to go sit there every day and stare at it. And so I just could not stop thinking about that image. And that's what sort of gave me the idea to, to imagine what her life might have been if she had married him. And I'm curious, what is it about Maria, Marie, Curie, Marie Curie that fascinates you as a historical figure? Marie was so amazing in so many ways. But, but I think what was most interesting to me was thinking about how much she persevered and how much she overcame in spite of her circumstances. She was born poor in Russian-controlled Poland where women weren't even allowed to be educated. And she just had this like passion for learning and this passion for science. And so she found a way to be educated first in Poland. Her and her sister went to Flying University, which was like secret university for women. Then she figured out how to raise enough money to go to Paris and she went to the Sorbonne. And then her whole life, she was fighting against the fact that she was a, she was a woman in this very male-dominated field. But she always managed to persevere and do these amazing things. So that definitely drew me to her. And then also the fact that even though she had this enormous career success in her life. She also was beset with personal tragedy again and again. And I wanted to examine the idea of what it meant to, quote unquote, have it all as a woman and to look at that. And what kind of research did you do as you were writing Half-Life? I, I read, there's a, a few biographies of Marie and I read them all and just books about her in general. There's a lot of books about her. So I read many books about her. I put the ones I use the most actually in the author's note in the back of the book if people are interested for further reading. I think the the most interesting biography I read of her is the one that was written by her daughter, Eve. And it was interesting and in what it included and what it didn't include. She actually, she left out everything about her mother's affair, which does play into my book. So that was probably the most fascinating. And also just because I felt like it was a very close look at her because it was written by her daughter. What was your early writing journey? What led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Um, I was always a reader. Even from a very young age, I just read ravenously all the time. When I was in elementary school, I used to make my mom take me to the library like multiple times a week. You could only check out 10 <laughs> books at a time at the time. And I would take out my 10 and I would read them really fast and beg her to take me back. So first I came into it as a reader. And I, I think I started writing pretty young too. I, I had a teacher in elementary school who had us write a short story once a week for the whole year. And I just from that moment, I loved the idea of creating fiction. And I, wa I wandered a lot after that. It's not like in fourth grade, I decided my whole future. <laughs> but um, I, I always was drawn to it. And I did, I majored in English in college. I thought that I was going to become a journalist. But after a year or two and working at the my college newspaper and then working at a local newspaper one summer, I just realized that wasn't the kind of writing that I enjoyed. <laughs> and I was an intern at my local paper one summer. And granted, they did send me to a lot of school board meetings. So it wasn't a very exciting <laughs> job. But I kept thinking, well, I really would enjoy making things up more than writing these stories. So I took a fiction writing class when I was a sophomore in college. And that was my first real journey into fiction when I knew this is what I want to be doing. 
So what led you to writing in, in your first novel? I did. I got my MFA and I actually, I wrote a novel as my MFA thesis, but that's, that was never published. So that was technically, I guess, my <laughs> first novel, not my first published novel. But I tried for a few years to get an agent for that novel and just couldn't find anyone that connected. And But I got a lot of really complimentary rejections about my writing. And so I, I wrote another novel after that, which ended up becoming my first novel. Even that was a pretty long journey. I think it, it was just, I had this desire to write and I kept doing it, even though a lot of people kept telling me no. Uh, so it was something like a, a internal perseverance, I think, that led me to writing my first novel. <laughs> and I'm curious, given that experience, and you said even the the first one was a long journey, have you ever have you ever examined that, as you just said, like this in internal drive? What What is it that drives you to write? I, I think for me, it's just like a, a real love of doing it. There's just something about writing that brings me a joy that nothing else does. And and of course, I've doubted that a lot of times and have given up and, <laughs> and come back and it's not always easy. But I, I don't know what the answer to that is. And I just I love creating stories and thinking about stories and telling stories. And I do get discouraged at times. That's true. I think we all do. But I always find myself coming back to it and getting excited about a new story. That's great. What was your MFA experience like at the University of Arizona? That's a good question. It was, I actually, I met a lot of really nice people and other writers <laughs> that I'm still connected with, but people always ask me if they should get an MFA and generally I say no. And I think it, it was a good. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Time just to have that like time and space to write. I think that was good, but I, I don't know. I had some, tr I, I really struggled in the workshops. I didn't always get the most helpful feedback. And sometimes I think that hurt my writing more than it helped my writing, but it was definitely like part of my journey. So I can't change that now. And, and why would you say no? Why would I say no? You just said that when people ask you, you say no. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think you need, I don't think you need to have it. To, and maybe it would, maybe some people do. I don't, I think if I knew then what I know now about what it takes to get published and, and write a successful novel, I don't think I needed those workshops to do that. I just needed my own, I guess, like my own self drive to do it. But I think it's probably a, per, it's probably a personal thing. I don't think people that think they're going to get an MFA and then come out and immediately be published. That wasn't my experience. Maybe some people do. But for me, I guess I'm also a solitary person and a, sol a solitary writer. I'm an introvert. So sometimes for me, it's more helpful just to have a quiet space in a room <laughs> and, and my focus to write than it is to have when I would be in a workshop, there'd be like 10 different opinions about what I was doing. And then I would have to struggle to think which one's the right opinion. And most important for me as a writer has been learning to listen to my own voice. And I think I lost that a little bit getting an MFA. Got it. 
Got it. So what is your writing process like? Do you write an extensive outline prior to writing a novel or is it more of an organic process for you? How does that work? It differs from book to book, honestly. For Half-Life, I did actually write a pretty extensive outline just because the the plot itself was so complicated because there were these two women and all the same characters were in both stories, but they were essentially different people in both stories and they were doing different things. And in different places in the same year. And so I did make a pretty extensive outline for Half-Life just in terms of for each chapter where each woman was, what everybody was doing. And part of the fun of writing Half-Life was that it felt like such a puzzle and I was fitting all the pieces together. Some of my other books I have not outlined at all. I would have a vague idea of where it ended up and I would know where I was starting and I would just sit down and write every day and until I got there. But Half-Life I did outline. Got it. So what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? I always say butt in chair is the best writing advice I ever got. And I did get that from someone while I was getting my MFA. So that was useful. But just you have to force yourself to sit down and do it every day. I I feel like there's always a reason why I could tell myself I don't have time to write or I don't feel like writing. But the only way The novel gets there is just by sitting down and writing those words every day. And you can always change them and fix them afterwards. So just butt in chair, getting it done. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? So I'm reading a novel right now called Nora by Noella O'Connor, which is about the James Joyce's lover and is super interesting. I'm doing an event with her in a few weeks, so I'm really excited to, to have a conversation with her about it. Nonfiction I'm reading is actually research for my next book idea, so I'm not going to tell you <laughs> because it's not cemented yet. But usually when I'm okay. reading the nonfiction, it's like book research and the fiction is as for fun or for my own enjoyment. I also recently read Una Out of Order, which I thought was a really interesting novel. You I don't I'm not sure if you read it, but it's basically a woman. Yeah, it's a, a woman's life, but it's she lives her life out of order. So that was a fascinating high concept that I really enjoyed. That's interesting. Have you started working on another novel? I actually I I have started working on another novel, but I actually have finished my next novel, which is going to be out in January 2022. So I'm working on something a little bit right now, but it's not that. But my next novel is called Beautiful Little Fools, and it's a reimagining of The Great Gatsby from the women's point of view. So that is finished. That's going to be out in January 2022. Wow, that's interesting. I'm sure you did a lot of publicity about that. (laughs) I hope so. It was really fun to write. Yeah. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and your new novel, Half-Life? Sure. JillianCantor.com has all my books, links to my social media, everything like that. Great. Again, we've been speaking with Jillian Cantor, author of the new novel, Half-Life. And Jillian, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thanks for having me. Great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Half-Life by Jillian Cantor, performed by Cassandra Campbell, available from Harper Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. In the end, my world is dark. My bones are tired, my marrow failing. I have given my whole life to my work, but now science brings me no comfort. My two Nobel medals aren't here, keeping me warm, holding my hand. My 
petite curies cannot drive me into a heaven that I do not even believe exists, nor fix my bones the way I use them to help fix soldiers in the war. I can no longer really make out the glow of the radium tube on my nightstand. I know it is here, but that does not make me feel better. My eyesight has failed me enough that everything is almost blackness. I am 66 years old, and I convalesce, my bones no longer able to carry the weight of me out of this bed. Nearly all day I sleep. But still, I dream. Pierre comes back to me most of all, though it has been so long since I've seen him. And yet, when I close my eyes, it could still be yesterday, and all the pain catches in my chest and I stop breathing for a moment. Then I awaken and I start again. I am not dead just yet. Eve is here, though. She calls my name out in the darkness. Maman, is there anything you need? I can see the shape of her when I open my eyes again, more a shadow than my youngest daughter, the girl with the radium eyes. I wish I'd learned to understand her piano music more when I'd had the chance. There is more than science. I want to tell her now. Play all the concert halls you dream of. Find a man who is your equal and love each other. But the words don't quite come out. Of course I will play you a song, she says. Maybe that is what I have asked of her instead. Because then there is the tinkling of piano keys, like raindrops on the metal roof of our laboratory that last morning with Pierre. So much has happened since then. It is strange to be thinking about that rainy day again, that moment now. I do not believe in the afterlife or in God. I do not believe that Pierre will be waiting for me somewhere after all of this. My body, my bones will be interred in the ground and eventually turned to dust. And what will any of that matter anyway once my heart stops, my brain deprived of oxygen, my mind completely gone? My mind. That is who I am and who I was. Irene and Fred will carry on my work at the Institute, and everything I have done will not be lost. That should be enough now. I know that it should. But somehow it is not. My mind is still craving one last scientific problem, one more quandary before I go. Maman? Eve's voice again. Hours have passed, or maybe just minutes, or has it been days? My beautiful daughter, she is a shadow, hovering again. No, there are two shadows now. I wish for the second one to be Irene, my eldest daughter, my heart, my companion, my confidant. But the shadow is much too large, much taller than Eve. Someone came to see you, Ev says. He says you were friends long ago, back in Poland. He. Sick 
of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.